0: Hello and welcome to NHASCD Spotlight, our regular podcast from the New Hampshire Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development. My name is Bill Carosa, Co-Executive Director of NHASCD. Before I introduce our guest today, I want to remind our listeners of our conference series this year we're conducting in partnership with the New Hampshire Association of School Principals. Coming up on October 18th, in just a little bit of time, I'm Leading with Empathy with Tom Herr. Tom, we interviewed him on a previous pro- podcast, he's a great guy and a uh, sort of a, a leader um, in the uh, leadership world for, for a long time. Tom uh, wrote a, a column for ASCD for years. I read it way back when, and uh, he'll be our guest uh, on October 18th. Also coming up uh, in 2023, one of the leading experts on coaching, uh, Jim Knight's coming on January 26th. His title is Seven Success Factors for Great Instructional Coaching. For registration, just go to nhascd.org, and we can... Set you up for sure with that. Well, our guest today is someone I know well, um, Liz Cannon, Elizabeth Cannon, we're gonna call her Liz though. She was born and raised in the Granite State, graduated from UNH, was an elementary classroom teacher in the Deerfield School District, taught in California for only a year in Hollywood. (laughs) Great story, I hope we get to that. Currently a reading and writing specialist at Harold Martin School in Hopkinton, where I worked for a long time. I worked with her for many years. She was honored this year as the recipient of the Krista McAuliffe Sabbatical, and she's dedicating her work to supporting teachers in the critical task of teaching young children how to read. Liz, thanks so much for being our guest today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's good to see you.
0: Yeah, and one of the questions Liz asks is, do we admit that we know each other really well? <laughs> I think it would be silly if we didn't. I've known Liz forever. Liz taught my, my now uh, Ohio State University <laughs> editor, actually, Jacob, who is a uh, Gosh, what is he? 27 now. Oh, and, uh, giving away t- my I'm age. I'm in now second now. grade. Sorry, I'm <laughs> giving away your age. It was only your second year teaching. I believe maybe? it
1: was. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So just it quite a while ago turn.
1: now. <laughs> yeah.
0: No doubt. I think a lot, I've known a few people. I, I think I've known three people who have won the sabbatical award. Tell us about your road to becoming um, the Krista McAuliffe Sabbatical Award winner. It was really kind of a neat journey, which I, I traveled with you a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was the first real winter of covid that 2021 kind of winter and things were bleak you know um we were all at home in school all kinds of places there was um you know no vaccines yet people were still pretty scared and so uh at the at the time i was teaching remotely which was working out for some of my students and not so well for some of my younger students and um just kind of feeling a little blah about things and our superintendent at the time kind of sent out an update with um, just a bunch of information listed in it. And one of the things he mentioned was that um, applications for the sabbatical were opening and he put a link to it. So I clicked on it, just not really thinking much about it and explored it a little bit more and decided to kind of um, give it a run. And I think for me at that time, it kind of gave me something to focus on that was positive and, um, and new and innovative and kind of get me uh, excited about things a little bit again. So um, it's, it's quite the process. You have to, there's multiple essays to answer. You create a project idea that you present to a committee. Um, You create a budget that goes with your project. Um, And so I went about that process, which took, you know, several months over the course of that spring and came real close, but did not get it. So went back um, last spring and kind of tweaked a few things with the project and gave it another try. And lo and behold, that time, the co- committee said yes. So here I am.
0: We can have you back later this year, and you're only one month into this, but right. would you recommend it at this point to other New Hampshire teachers?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it gives, especially if you have an area or um, an idea that you're really passionate about, it gives you that time that you, you know, you never have when you're in the trenches day in and day out to really kind of dive into that idea, to read the research, to, um, you know, go to webinars, to just build your knowledge on that um, topic and then kind of share that with others. So, so far, it's only, like you said, it's only been a month, but um, yeah, it's been a really great experience.
0: I would think another great advantage of doing this sort of thing is the process itself, because it, it forces you to reflect on, you know, why are you doing this, and you know, and why you have such a passion for literacy. So uh, talk about that. Ever since I've known you, and you were a classroom teacher, so yep. you taught everything, right? Yep. But why literacy? What What is it about early literacy, especially, that just drives you every day to go to work?
1: Yeah, I, you know, literacy has always been kind of, and reading has always kind of been my thing. I, um, when I first went to UNH, I started out as an English major. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, um, but I kind of saw myself probably teaching high school English, I thought, Um, and kind of not very quickly, but by the end of my sophomore year, I had switched majors to be um, a child development major. And I was really kind of interested in the idea of language acquisition and how that happened. I had some young nieces that I spent a lot of time with at the time. And so I was, I was enjoying little kids, kind of feeling like that was my zone and, and kind of feeling some um, interest in that area. And so that for me kind of made that switch. I always, as a kid, I just I love to read. I read all the time. Um, I had favorite series that I read over and over again. I wanted to be Ramona Quimby. I loved Mm -hmm. her so much. Um, I still have my original copies of the series. Kids don't like them as much anymore, which makes me a little sad. But, you know, just having that connection through books um, was always a really big part of my life. And I wanted to bring that to kids. And that's kind of what let me to the career that I have, so even when I was a classroom teacher, when I did my master's in elementary ed, I um, did a focus in reading, and that was always the area that I enjoyed enjoyed the most um, so kind of moving into being a reading specialist seemed like a, a natural shift, um, and I've really enjoyed being in that role for a little bit over a decade now, yeah, yeah
0: what made me think about calling you up or emailing and saying, let's do a podcast is I got an email from your, your organization now in a sense, right? <laughs> right. You now are, uh, have a MailChimp account. Yes, yes. So you've really arrived. So talk about <laughs> some of the resources you've already come up with. Um, yeah. for Teachers in New Hampshire.
1: So the um, I've kind of given it a name. It's just called literacy leaders, NH for New Hampshire. And, um, I've spent a lot of time in the last month just trying to kind of build a presence um, for it in a lot of ways. So uh, I have a blog that um, I write on. There is a website um, that took quite a bit of time to <laughs> put together, but also um, was really satisfying. I, I'm hoping that that is a resource place for a lot of teachers throughout New Hampshire to go um, to learn the whys About what the changes are, but also to be able to take some really practical things that they can use right in the classroom um, and implement the next day. Um, We have, I've set up some social media stuff through, you know, we have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, I got a YouTube page that we're on the haven't gotten too much on there yet, but we're um, on the docket to kind of, you know, create some original stuff, film some lessons, things like that, and hopefully post on there. Um, so, as ways of sharing this information with teachers throughout Hampshire.
0: Right. As of the last few months, especially the state professional organizations, we've all gotten pretty close. We talk on a regular basis, superintendents, principals, and um, and so on. It doesn't. There doesn't seem to be a literacy or reading organization that's active right now. Are you hoping to get that rolling again?
1: Yeah, I think that it's really. Um, for years, we had uh, a branch of the ILA which used to be the IRA. So the International Literacy Association was Reading Association, um, which is kind of defunct at this point. So I'm hoping to look into that. There's also a great, great group of people who are um, looking to start uh, a wing of the uh, Reading League here in New Hampshire, which would be another great organization that um, could help centralize things, not just for teachers, but also parents. They do a lot of parent work there as well. Um, so I think, you know, we're such a small state and we don't always have a lot of centralized resources. Um, and, and I think there's a real need for that to kind of bring together and, and create places where people can go to. So whether it's reading specialists, all kind of meeting and being able to bounce ideas off of each other or classroom teachers or principals or curriculum directors um, there's a lot to come from that. And I think we could really use something like that. I know over the past, you know, 10 years, you know, working in Hawkington's a small town, I live in a small town and I would see that my kids were doing the same, some of the same stuff we were trying to do. And, and we would try to create some bridges there because we were each recreating the wheel in our own small little towns. Um, so I think there's definitely a place to set up some avenues for us to have more collaboration within yeah. the state.
0: I'm going to completely go off the rails here. Okay. Uh, on live live okay. podcasting, which really yeah.
1: is not
0: the way it is. But did you hear ASCD and ISTE are are merging?
1: I did. I got um, an email from ASCD last right. week about that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and obviously,
0: in my role and our board, we're we're not exactly sure what that means. It just goes along with what you're saying. I think we need to join forces as much as possible. Um, and you know, perhaps COVID got us to f- reflect a little deeper about what our mission is as, as educators or as organizations. So yeah. I remember Grant state reading association was the hub for that was Deerfield when I was
1: there. Yep. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah, definitely.
0: So I and hope I think that happens again.
1: Um, maybe a silver lining of the pandemic too, in listening to some of your past podcasts, we have to say pandemic every episode, I guess. So I think I guess so. Yeah, well. <laughs> but one of the silver linings might be also that, um, you know, putting together the website, I, there are so many free resources out there, so many that it's overwhelming, and, and quality, good resources. Um, I think a lot of professional development was done, uh, you know, via Zoom, and that way it was recorded and saved, and there's several different organizations, state departments of ed, that have kept these up, and they're up there for free with experts in the field giving hour-long you know my family's kind of made fun of me they came they come home and said they make bets on the car on the ride home like well, what do you think mom's doing and they'll walk in the door and i'll be like i'm on a webinar and they were like oh we knew it we called it but there's right. just so much out there and part of um part of it is just synthesizing that for teachers and and, and picking through all of it and you know What's, what's the real good stuff? What's backed by the research? What, you know, what can we trust? What's other stuff that they're hawking a product or, you know, other things like that. Um, but it's really amazing how much information about early literacy is out there.
0: Um, I just signed up today. Uh, John Hattie's doing a webinar. Kenny, Peter DeWitt is doing one. I mean, yep. of course, a lot of us sign up for them, and if we can't make it, we can't make it. But right. it's a reserve or spot. It, it, right. Sometimes it's hard.
1: And even some of those, they'll if you, they say they are very I think we've all understood the need for flexibility in life a little bit. And right. um, several will say, sign up if you make it great. But if you can't, we'll send you the recording afterwards. Right. No doubt. Uh, yeah. And I think that's really helpful for teachers in a day to day life and reality. Like, you know, getting on a webinar at one o'clock is not going to happen when that's when you teach math.
0: Yeah. You and I, it's funny, we kind of entered into similar lives. Um, all at the same time, where we have a little more flexibility. I'm not going back to my other life, but of course right. you are. Hey, let's get in, let's get into the meat here a little bit. I'm certainly old enough to remember teaching in the 80s. I I taught in in Deerfield, where you taught for many years. We missed each other.
1: Not at the same time. <laughs> but, yeah, not at
0: the same time. But we were the whole language school. I mean, yeah. maybe of the state, and that was considered best practice then. It probably wasn't. I mean, pieces of it were certainly. Right. I mean, we promoted literacy like like nobody, but I think we did leave a few kids behind in, yep. in the process. And, and but you've been around long enough to to see this the shift. And now, you know, you're in, into an interesting time where it doesn't seem like the heat is as big in the reading wars, but still there's an enormous need for for support around current research. So talk about where you stand on this now, and and how you hope the sabbatical can help bridge whatever gap is left.
1: Yeah, I mean I that whole concept of the reading wars has been around my entire career in education, but it's actually been a lot around since for over 100 years. Um, you know, early 1900s they were ar- already arguing about if, you know, they started with a phonics-based kind of approach and then it was thought that maybe that wasn't creative enough and then there were some who pushed back against that. Um, you know, if you you go to m- more recent history and by recent before I was even born, but You know, some of the people that grew up in the 50s and 60s uh, might have learned kind of what they call the look-say method. So that's what goes with those Dick and Jane books that people know, um, which is a whole word approach to reading. And um, that was there was kind of a push and pull between that and a phonics method at that time. In 1955, there was a book published, Why Johnny Can't Read, and that kind of ignited those reading wars over again. Um, Then we get into the 70s and 80s. There's more of a push back with that whole language um, idea and the idea that students could just, you know, pick literacy up the same way if they were in an environment where people talked a lot. You can pick up language. Well, if we put them in this print rich environment, they're going to pick up reading. The problem is that's not how we know now. That's not how the brain works. The brain is hardwired for language. It is not hardwired for um, written word, written language. So, um, you know, that kind of ebbed and flowed, and then scores kind of plateaued. And then there was uh, an 81, the Reagan administration released A Nation at Risk, um, which painted a pretty dismal picture of things going on in in our public schools. So that led to more research into reading instruction. Um, In 1997, Congress commissioned a group to study research, both new research and research that had been going on um, and kind of come back with some recommendations for best practices. And that led to the 2000 release of the National Reading Panel Report, um, which kind of gave birth to the idea of the five big pillars of reading instruction. And that was when I was doing my master's work. And that was kind of where my professional career, where I came in. So I knew a lot about those five pillars. um, And then was trained a lot in what was referred to as a balanced literacy approach, which was thought to be, well. we know we need phonics, but we also think that there's some, you know, positive things that we could keep from what we had from whole language. The problem with that and with balanced literacy, which was something that I used for most of my teaching career, um, was that it wasn't clearly defined and the implementation of it varied widely from one school to another um, a school might say they're doing phonics but then you know it was maybe a little bit of word work here in a book with a word you didn't know and a little word work here in another book you didn't know it wasn't systematic it wasn't um explicit Um, and those are things that we know that that students really need now so for me it was um it was kind of a shift that happened after reading with students who struggled, you know, doing my the job that I do now for several years and, and, and really working with some who really struggled. You know, I was really working hard, I was pulling all the resources and doing all the things that I thought was best, and these students just weren't making the progress I thought that they should be making. My own son struggled a little bit at the beginning of his elementary experience. Um, And kind of a combination of that stuff led me to dig a little bit deeper I would say probably around 2015-16 I started saying what's missing what are we missing here you know um and and then there's this newer uh it's not even a newer idea but it's a newer term that you'll hear a lot which is referred to as the science of reading and this research has actually been going on for quite a while now I was um I was looking up some stuff in the last month and I came across an ASCD article that was written about the science reading in 2004. So, you know, it's been around longer, even though it's kind of caught a lot of energy right now. Um, but it's basically, Oh, there was also a 2019 article written by Emily Hanford called called at a loss for words that really kind of kicked off some, um, momentum behind it. And, you know, I did some professional development on my, on my own. I, um, did Orton-Gillingham training, um, did some different webinars and things like that around dyslexia as New Hampshire passed their dyslexia screening law. And, and that's kind of where we're at now, is like taking that research that the science of reading can provide us with and learning how we can put that into practice in schools. But what we need is there's just so much training that teachers need. It's, it's not something that they were taught when they were in school. Maybe now we're just starting to get to the place where universities are, are teaching that to kids who are coming out, um, fresh into the profession. So you have a lot of really great teachers already in the field doing what they've already done, really putting all their energy into it. And now we're telling them, well, you really got to change that. You know, that's, that's a huge, um, huge ask of them. And I know from a lot of colleagues that it's something they're absolutely willing to take on because they know that it's best for kids. Um, But it's a matter of supporting them, finding the ways to get them the information, finding the resources and supports for them as they um, learn more and learn the why and then kind of learn the how.
0: Where should teachers go at this point to learn more about, I I have a hard time even calling it the science of reading, like it's a a textbook or a program, it's not, but.
1: Yeah, yeah. The science of reading is actually, um, they have defined it and the common definition is basically just that it's a, a vast interdisciplinary body of scientifically based research about reading and issues related to reading and writing. And the research has been conducted over five decades across the world. So it's not just in the United States and it's derived from thousands of studies conducted in multiple languages and um, the science of reading is kind of um, culminated in a preponderance of evidence to inform how proficient readers and writers develop and why some have difficulty and how we can most effectively assess and teach and therefore improve student outcomes using um, prevent prevention and intervention and helping kids achieve proficient reading so some people um, think it's almost like a program like I want to do that science of reading program it's really not it's really a body of research that then informs um, our instruction And that kind of approach to teaching is most commonly referred to as structured literacy right. um, so if you wanted to kind of as a teacher or um, even a parent learn more about structured literacy there's a lot of really great sites out there One of the most exciting things happening in New Hampshire right now is the um, New Hampshire Department of Education is launch is running a new initiative called Launching, Launch into Literacy or Launching into Literacy. And uh, one piece of that is providing letters training um, to teachers, um, really anybody who works with young, young kids. So parents, tutors, um, a, a wide variety of people. Letters training is is going to be really great. It's giving a lot of this information, the science and the why behind things, um, so you can understand how to best work with kids. So I'm really excited that that is the program that they chose to use, and that actually first cohorts are going to be starting soon in October. Um, that's a that's quite a bit to take on. It's a big you know it's a big class. Uh, there's definitely other resources out there if you go. If you go to my website, there's some links that you can you can look into. Uh, also, the International Dyslexia Association has a great website with lots of information, both for teachers and for parents.
0: We're gonna have a very robust um show notes for this yes. podcast. <laughs> I'm going to I'll put it together and then I'm gonna make sure I haven't missed anything. I'll go okay. back to you on All that. Right. I, I think I I appreciate the DOE, not just with the letters program, but the fact that there's a focus on teachers understanding why they teach what they teach as opposed to, all right, here's a program, it's scripted, go teach yep. it, kids are going to learn.
1: Yep, yep. It
0: just makes so much more sense.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, um, we've used foundations for many years in Hockington and, and watching and helping teachers learn how to implement that. It's so important for the success of that program that they understand the why because you have to understand what to do when when there's a student error. You have to understand what that's telling you because it's giving you information about what the student does or does not understand about how the language works. So I I was really excited that they chose the program because it is based in the why. It's not, we're all gonna do this program. It's, we're we're gonna understand why we do this and how to best approach it.
0: It feels like, We just haven't gotten literacy right in the last 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. Do you think we're getting it right? Can can you look beyond the research that's out right now and say, you know, maybe we're missing this or missing that? What do you think?
1: I think we have the research to get it right. I think we have the knowledge now. Um, You know, we have studies that come from, you know, cognitive psychology, from neuroscience. Then you have educational people. I think some of the, the pieces that need to come together. So for instance, if you're on a campus, those you might have three separate buildings for education, neuroscience, cognitive psychology, who are all doing studies, but they're not always communicating. Right. So that, that's one piece is pulling that together. And then I, I, I think the other piece is that implementation piece of getting it into schools. Um, you and I were talking before we started a little bit about Um, coaches in general, instructional coaches. So um, I think that that will be a big piece of supporting teachers and putting best practices into place is having coaches supports so that it doesn't feel like one more initiative that has kind of dumped on their plate. They're already just trying to keep their head above water. Um, I'm hopeful for them to see it as a positive thing I think sometimes once you see it in action and you see students making progress, that kind of can help get people on board as well. It's definitely going to be a process, but all research indicates that we have all the pieces to get a much higher percentage of our population as proficient readers than we currently yeah. are. We just need to get the the instruction into schools for that to happen.
0: Let's talk about Liz a little bit. So you've done an awful lot of uh, work with communication so far, but you're going to be getting into schools pretty soon too, right?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely hopeful to be in schools, um, working with uh, everybody from you know, literacy coaches and literacy specialists to, you know, PLCs at certain grade levels or curriculum coordinators. Um, I'm anxious to help schools who are interested in getting more of the science of reading kind of uh, into their curriculum And also interested in visiting schools who maybe are already doing it really well um, and kind of seeing what supports and models they have in place and and getting that information and sharing it out with others in the state. Um, I think there's some really good ideas out there. So
0: There always is. (laughs) Any surprises along the road so far?
1: I think that I was surprised at how much time it took to sort through all that and set up all those kind of tech things. I was also surprised, like I spoke about a little bit earlier, just how much information is out there for teachers and, and, and real quality information. Um, there's definitely not a lack of it. It's just getting the time for teachers to be able to have access to it for sure.
0: All right, let's make sure people can find you and find all your resources. And I, and I do think everybody listening to this podcast, uh, the show notes will be either on your podcast app or they'll be on uh, the Spotify page, which NHAACD has let's just talk about what are some of the places uh, people can find you?
1: Sure. Uh, Literacy leaders. NH has a Facebook group. It is a private group, but um, you just have to answer a few questions and then let you on in. Uh, We have an Instagram page. Like I said, I have a YouTube page, but not quite up and running yet. Um, Also website and blog. And we can put the links to those in the show notes. If you want, I can give those to you. And then, um, I have basically, if you go to any of those sources, you can see where you can sign up to get emails as new resources and materials become available.
0: And your email for this project is?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, Literacyleadersnh at gmail.com. Great. Yeah.
0: And you check that daily, I'm sure. I
1: do. I do. I I toggle back and forth between three accounts now. So
0: (laughs) I won't tell you how many accounts I have right now. (laughs) I found one uh, Mac email program that'll actually, uh, hold all my accounts. Cause you know, there's uh, yeah. IMAP and there's different types of accounts. Yep, so yep, yeah, yep. it's, it's crazy, but yeah, <laughs> it's a fun life.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I think
0: about you a lot, my friend. And I, and I think, uh, it's great to see your influence, um, statewide, um, and see you grow as a professional too. And, and who knows what the future holds for you, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Hopefully all good things. you know, it's exciting. Um, I was really honored to be given the opportunity. It's an exciting opportunity at, you know, at the end of the day, for me, the whole idea of literacy as a fundamental right is just really important. And I I feel strongly that we need to have equitable instruction out there for kids. And we really, we need to do better. You know, um, we have too many people in our society who are partially literate or completely illiterate and there's big impacts for those people um, long term so I'm excited to get out there to you know work in schools in New Hampshire and hopefully kind of move the needle a little bit
0: well it's been an honor to know you and work with you and <laughs> and uh, now talk to you on a whole different plane
1: yeah yeah thanks for thanks for having me it was great to be here
0: you bet maybe we'll um We'll do it again at the end of the sabbatical and just talk about the things you learned and and progress you've made. And
1: that would be great. And I would just encourage anybody listening out there who, um, you know, late winter, mid winter, late winter, if you start hearing about it and you have a project idea, go for it. Um, I think New Hampshire can use more teacher leaders. And I think people with great ideas getting out, out there and, you know, having a whole year to spend working on that idea and bringing it to other teachers is a, absolutely fantastic thing so i encourage Great. others to take the leap
0: thank you liz hey for more <laughs> information you. on all this make sure you go to her website again it's literacyleaders.org right uh yeah
1: Literacy... it's a it's a google site so it has the site oh, part at the beginning okay yeah we'll, we'll check the show notes <laughs> there You'll you get go. there
0: good yeah uh, google has to get its its due
1: they do they do yes
0: yeah <laughs> Well, for more information on NHASCD and our conference series, head to our website, nhascd.org. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our, our mission is to serve as a catalyst for conversation and action to inspire excellence in teaching, learning, and leading. If you want to contact me, it's pretty simple. It's just bill at nhascd.org. I'm Bill Carosa. Thanks, Liz, for being with Thanks,
1: us. Bill. It was great to be here. Thanks. You,
0: you bet. We'll see you next time on NHASCD Spotlight.